down your unders. Down your unders. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Art of War. Down Under. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode 110 of the Art of War Down Under podcast. My name, as always, is Adam Camilleri. We're here in the kind of break between Codex reviews. We've just had Votan being told it's going to be up for pre-order. I've just locked away Richard Siegler for at least the first half of the Votan review. I am both dreading and looking forward to getting that book out of the way, uh, and hopefully the big one. But before we do any of that crap, before we get, we got some, we got some dust we need to clear up on this meta. We have some retrospective reviews waiting in the wings, and I've been lucky enough to be joined by WTC world champion, WSC world champion, normal blokes podcast, doer, dinger, guyer, and most likely what will go down as one of the best players of the year of 2022. Possibly, you know, if he maintains his current rate of progress, one of the GOAT contenders of our great game. Mr. Liam Hackett, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, dude. I'm here and caffeinated, ready to rumble. <laughs> dude, um, yeah, t- t- you make some you make some podcasts, you make some memory, you make some things, mate. Tell us about where people may grab some more Liam if they want some goodness. Oh, so I thoroughly enjoy some meme content, but if you want to hear more about improving the competitive 40k experience, uh, me and a couple of the boys in Brisbane, uh, Denise, Jordan, and Luke, we do a podcast called The Normal Works. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, I'm pretty sure. Our podcast kind of focuses on uh, the local competitive scene and sort of more about uh, tournament attitude, tournament prep. Uh, the uh, experience of going to tournaments rather than like specific competitive advice. We try to take a bit of a different approach, that sort of stuff. Uh, feel free to check us out. Yeah, it also really focuses in on how to be an absolute savage at the table and an absolute gentleman while doing it. So by all means, if that is your quandary, if that is your quest, go and check them out. And we're here, to, of course, to do a retrospective review on the dustiest of dusty boys, the T-Suns, the Thousand Suns Codex, which Liam and I did upon release. And that review got a lot of mixed reactions. It was very funny. Um, our initial review people saying oh we don't understand t-suns at all and, and all this other stuff um and all we were doing is literally reading from the book and saying what we thought but anyway that is <laughs> that is the life of a, of a reviewer but what I, what it means is that the t-suns the people who play t-suns are extremely passionate about them and i want to respect that and, and do the best we can for those people who enjoy the yeah the nine cult persuasion anyway jumping those straight in for those who do not know uh art of war done under is a two-part podcast the first part comes out tuesday mornings curated by my lovely self and Seamus Ronan. And then there is a beautiful part two, which for this question, this one will just be me and Liam answering a huge swathe of subscriber questions. It's so interesting. Whenever I do any Tau content or T-Suns content, just people just jump out of the woodwork to throw questions at me. And then I'll do like general space brains and no it, it'll be just i'll hear the crickets chirping but we have a huge amount of questions from the listeners we're going to be answering those to the best of our ability over on part two if you want to join in on that part two goodness come over to the art of war 40k.com and sign up to all the beautiful other art of war products including the war room and all the other podcasts, which you can also get involved in with a single one-click bundle, or go over to Patreon, Art of War Down Under, find me there. All right, my man, what was your first impressions of the T-Suns book when it came out, and how are you feeling about them now? You know the scene in Pirates of the Caribbean, right, where Jack Sparrow is holding the jar of dirt, and he's dancing on the ship like, I got a jar of dirt, I got a jar of dirt. <laughs> that was basically me with the T-Suns codex, in the sense that it is literally a jar of dirt. When I first read that codex, I thought it was a pile of dirt. Um, that's not a dustingly resilient drug. That's me generally think. I thought it was pretty bad, to be honest. Um, my, my, my initial like preference was that I looked at it and I was like, there's good things here, but there was nothing in my head that jumped out as like excellent, as great. Yeah. Now, I, I have a good love for T-Suns. I think time has, has proven me wrong and I'm totally happy to be wrong. I think over time, um, myself included, sort of fell in love with a lot of parts of the Codex because it's a book where everything being good means that you're a bit of a jack of all trades. So like you can do quite a lot of different things despite there only being like two units in the codex. Um, so yeah, no, I, I honestly, you know, I guess in, in retrospect, <laughs> plug in the name of the episode. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, it's actually, like I think it's, I rated it maybe like a C plus, B minus, and I'd, I'd give it a solid B plus, A minus, um, even before the Armor of Contempt yeah. changes. Yeah. Oh, so... I have a. I don't have any experience playing T Suns. I have a lot of experience playing into them, and I got to say, Armor Contempt was a huge shot in the arm for them. But I, I'm of the opinion that even though they benefited hugely from them, they were kind of 
quite well poised as as things were at the time anyway uh, with the way the meta was was changing and evolving kind of around the tunid release which was the, the i guess the big meta change before armor of contempt came in um yeah, no, bit- I, I, i'd agree with that uh, i'd agree with that pretty strongly as well to be honest because the thing is it's like the way t-suns suffered for want of a better term was that they lent really really heavily i think into playing to the last before yeah. the Nephilim yeah. change. Yeah. I think pretty much every T-Suns list did to the last. But when you started playing, when Tyranids came out and Psychers became more prevalent, T-Suns actually got access to that other secondary, the, the, the Wrath of Magnus, yep. which sort of allowed them to play the game even better. And after Tyranids, you know, we've had like Chaos Space Marines, we're about to get Demons. There are more Psychers in the game. Like if you told me in January that over 50% of lists were going to have a Psyker in them, I'd call you silly. Yeah. But now yeah. I reckon well over 50% of lists have psychers. And it's so incredible to say that, in hindsight, you would say, oh, surely lots of psychers is bad for T-Suns. That's more denies. That's more interplay. That's more shutting down. But all it has done is activated all the portions of that book that you need to have the best psychic phase in the game. And they needed other psychers in the game to actually have a bunch of their special rules and their secondaries take effect. It's just funny to say that was built in there. And so I will say that you were absolutely right. Nothing in that book upon review slapped me in the face as being, oh, this is crazy. This is good. Um, um, or even or even this is uh, meta-defining. There was nothing in the book that was going to define the meta or change the way everyone else was playing. Um, but I, I, I'm very happy to be wrong in that they have been like a great, reliable little earner in the background, just chugging away, doing what they do. And while the loss of To The Last may be seen as a bad thing, because if they still had To The Last and now got uh, the Armour Contempt injection in there, that would be, I think that would be that impressive. That would be pretty hectic, to be and honest. I think that would probably be a bit too much. <laughs> so boring. Oh my God, so boring. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, as soon as To The Last got taken out and all the psychers went in everyone stopped looking at ways to make death stars because they kind of had the durability by default as soon as armor contempt got added in and everyone yeah. started looking at how to be offensive with their t-suns lists everyone started looking for oh well i can just pop out 30 mortal wounds reliably every psychic phase i should probably do that right because my stuff's just going to live anyway so let's just go more offense and i found let's that as something it. sorry go let's just go like the thing about what, what i found so huge as a T-Suns player and as someone who's burst T-Suns a whole bunch with Krons, right, is that as soon as you add Armor of Contempt, it's a, it's a weird breaking point for T-Suns because if you take a Terminator and you give him Armor of Contempt, that means against AP3, you're still taking a 4-up, which is what Weaver of Fates, the inverse save power, gives you anyway. Yep. So what it actually meant was that immediately the army was able to apply it spells differently. It, it had like a knock-on effect. It wasn't just, oh, my armor saves one better. I now have a different allocation of resources. Like, I don't have to put Weaver of Fates on my Terminators exactly. anymore. I can put Weaver of Fates on some Spawn or, I don't know, some Cultist or whatever the heck you want. You don't have to do it on Terminators anymore. And equally, Rubrics in cover, same thing. Rubrics in cover are taking four ups against AP3. And you're like, wow, that, that that's huge. Like that, That's actually silly. Phenomenal, man! It's absolutely bonkers, um, and so therefore, you know, you got to you got to open up the playbook a lot more, not just look at the Death Star making components. You got to look at actual things that make plays. So, those you, people who do not know might be joining me for a very first time, or it's been a while since you've listened into a retrospective. What we do is we look through the codex from a cursory point of view, a top down. We go through all the sections. Just I've got a run sheet here. We're going to look at the Legion Command. We're going to look at the Strats and the Cults, and, and just give our opinions on how these things have held up since the release of the codex, which I think I think it's almost a year old now. I think maybe it may be. You're, you're probably right to be yeah. honest and so we usually like to do this between the six and 12 month mark um as to see how things have evolved did did what we what we thought was going to occur occur so we're going to run through each of the sections now we're going to start off with the legion command now this is the upgrades that you pay for uh a pre-game in order to give your essentially hq choices extra spiciness how, how have these evolved have they have they you know kind of held water and being useful to T-Suns players? Uh, I reckon all of them have. Like, I mean, realistically, you're going to see three or four of these in every T-Suns list, uh, especially, you know, the standard stuff like get a relic for free. I, I think the one that's really changed in stonks, the one that really went up in value, was the D- Dilettante, which is the, uh, used to be 35 points, went down 10 points, now it's 25 points. Used to be, it's an upgrade where you get an additional relic. So you can put two relics on one dude, or as people have worked out, now you have to pay CP per relic. It lets yep. you take one relic if you want without playing, paying any CP. Exactly. You, you can take a T-Suns army that has a relic and still start with six CP if you choose, which is one of the very few armies that can actually do that without characters that give you bonus CP. Dude, spot on. Yeah, that thing has gone up exponentially because I never saw it before. And now I've heard a couple of people talk about it. Um, I yeah. always used to see, um, is it Rahadi? 
one manifest yep. one additional psychic power. That's kind of the ubiquitous one I've seen in just about every yeah, list. Basically, make a character into Araman. <laughs> exactly right. Oh, I hear Araman's good. Would you like two? Yes, I would like two. <laughs> I would uh, love uh, Are there any others that jump, have jumped out to you? I mean, the, the other one, uh, Paradigm of Change for the Exalted Sorcerer. Like, I, I liked it to make a slappy character, but it's nothing to write home about. You know, like plus one attack or whatnot. But um, the upgrades for units. Uh, I, I still remain high in value. I see a lot of people taking um, Ardent Automata, which is yep. shoot and do actions. Again, sounds a bit meh, but when your army is like four units and you need to do things like retrieve Nephilim data or raise banners or whatever yeah. whatever they need to do, that is where that starts being hugely valuable. Mm. And when you put it into just strictly you know, functional terms, you're paying 20 points for what it's costed in this book right now. I'm not sure if it's gone up or down. Um, and for, to just, if you just put up one banner with that unit and they shot and added value, that's five points. If that banner stays up all game, that's five points that unit's contributed if that banner went up turn one. For 20 points, to get five points on your end score, absolutely worth it. Um, so yeah, I think it's an absolute win. I think the Legion Command is, is, a, is really well crafted, and I think it's held up over time. Um, the cult is not something I can say has. I think I have... I, well, the issue is the G-Dub always does this. They'll give you... In this case, they gave us, what, nine cults? Yeah, nine cults. Upon the upon the time of the review, yeah, we already knew, what, duplicity in time, I think? <laughs> that was pretty much what we said then, and I don't think that has changed. Uh, I think we thought... Did we think, was it cult... Of, we, so we had... I think we even tiered this by saying, oh, yeah, these, these ones you're always going to take, these ones maybe, and these ones never. Because um, I know you've been a proponent of mutation, yeah? So uh, I have been um, uh, a big advocate for the cult of mutation, and I actually went to an event this weekend... Um, where somebody played Cult of Mutation. The, the problem is that the Cult of Mutation cult is terrible unless you build a specific list around it. And you remember, Adam, like when we played at ATC, yeah. I played Cult of Mutation at the ATC, and I did that with an MSU rubric list with zero Terminators. I know. And that's, and that's really, really valuable because it just leans into the psychic. But you know, without you know, talking smack, 90, 99.99% of T-Suns players play with 20 plus terminators mm-hmm. and if you're going to take 20 plus terminators it does nothing for you not the yeah. highest yield like if yeah. you just get more out of playing time or duplicity mm-hmm. you just do i and i'm of the opinion that the, the 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 stocks on time are down i think duplicity is hands down the better of the two yeah oh uh, I, I think it is and the main reason i say that is that it's like with the game how it is at the moment, with the armies as they are at the moment, because they're so fast, I think you need to be able to match that. Yeah. But that, that's the irony of why, you know, two months ago or three months ago, Cult of Mutation was actually good. And I, I think it still is, to be honest. Because the thing about Cult of Mutation is that it, it allows you to fight back against speed by halving people's movement. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to play Terminators, you need to teleport. I, I honestly think you either need to teleport or you are some sort of Pythagorean genius who can predict <laughs> Um, exactly where your opponent's going to go and what they're going to do Um, or you just go first all the time um that's a good strat too yeah just go first mate what what are you worried about um (laughs) but i absolutely agree i think taking an army that is not dynamic and is not quick and giving it to them is the obvious best thing to do with an already possibly overwhelmingly durable army you don't need to be resurrecting stuff for your stuff to feel oppressively durable they are by default so lean away from what you already do and get something you can't do which of course is the especially it's the time it's it's the power right the power is the best it's just gate of infinity and it's such an enabler um i play i played um dude i played against cult of duplicity with magnus and 20 rubrics at wtc and he made two nine inch from reserve charges to take away primary points from me and i was just like this shouldn't be a thing in any cult of time army and yet now it's actually a thing i have to worry about i have to screen my freaking objectives now because you're cult of duplicity uh yeah it's really annoying. It actually becomes way more annoying. Like, it's so much more annoying. Are there any like second tier or third tier cults that we might see come into the fort at some point in the future? Without being negative, nah, not not, not really. And yeah. that, that, that's not me saying that I haven't looked at them. I mean, you you read them and they're just so below those first couple that mm-hmm. I, I don't think they'll ever come up. Like probably the only one that's maybe in a third place um, is I think it's called the Cult of Manipulation, and it yep. has a, it has a spell. 
to my understanding, that's 18-inch range, can work out of line of sight. It does a mortal wound, and then it makes your opponent neck two to cast. Yeah, neck two to it cast, does, that's it correct. Only, it only does one mortal wound, yep. but the reason why it's valuable is it works out of line of sight, and you can use the Cabal ability on that to do D3 mortal wounds. So there's a potential that you kill a four-wound character out of line of sight, which is oh, actually that's pretty cool. cool. That's pretty spicy. Uh, and you know how many times have you left, left a unit on one wound behind a wall after a combat? So it's, it, it's usable, but as if you would trade that for the ability to teleport 10 Scarab Occult Terminators anyway. Yes, 100% you would not. Um, so moving on, I do think, unfortunately, by dint of the percentages that are of the cults that are swings and misses, I have to say the cult is a fail. The fact that you have nine of them, and literally two of them of the nine have seen mass play, um, with very little variation. In fact, I think Cult of Time is almost in freefall compared to duplicity with the way the game is played at the moment. The fact that there's one of them, that I think is actually top tier and worth playing in every meta, um, I think means it's a bit of a fail, unfortunately. Yeah, I, it's not very diverse, and I think they, yeah. I think they missed the mark with that one. They did, know. yeah. Um, all right, the strats. I, I, I'm pretty high on the T-Sun strats. I think they're quite flexible, and they're quite good for what they are. I mean, this was probably one of the things that stood out to me when the Codex came out as something, one of the reasons I didn't like the book initially um, was that you know you had this book where you had strats, like, at the time, you had plus one to wound, Space Marines could do the same thing for one CV. You're like, ah, oh, it's a bit bad. Yeah. You had things like, I'm going to deny the witch on 3D6. But at the time, there weren't that many psychers around, so it was a bit there. And all these other sort of abilities that kind of made them better at what they already do. And over time, like you've said, the meta has actually changed. The meta has actually adjusted. And now things look a little bit more valuable than they did before. 3D6 deny when you're playing against Tyranids. Yep. And they go, hey, I just rolled a 14 for a psychic check. And then Araman goes, uh, no. And then rolls up the 18 is deny the witch check. It's yep. actually a, like an, an amazing flex of biblical proportions. Agreed. Um, yeah, like, there's lots of situations where things that weren't that great are now great. And in addition to that, it just feels like if you had 5 CP to spend a turn, like a battle round for T-Suns players, they could find a way to spend 5 a turn. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. Because they, they spend CP to just do things reliably. That's basically yeah. what your CP are doing for you. Exactly right, um, and they've got something for everything. Like I've lamented some of the previous, some of the the current books for not giving enough sprinkle. Like here's a strat to make this unit better. Here's a strat for this starter sheet. A strat for this starter sheet. It feels like they ticked every box running through this one. Where you have strats for scarabs, you have strats for um, spawn. You're like infernal full of sight. It's just a, it's just a catch oil. Oh cool, you got a bolter. Cool, you bolter better. Um, you know that kind of stuff. It, yeah. it feels like they did well. Uh, I agree. The only caveat I'd say from a rules writing perspective without being a negative Nelly is that when you only have three units in your codex, it's easier to write strats. <laughs> that's, um, that's true. It is true. Is uh, We'll wait to see how many data sheets Votan comes out with, but as it sits right now, I, apart from Harlequins, I think T-Suns have the least amount of unit choices for any book. Yeah, it's... it's, it's yeah, look, there's like Rubik Marine... Like, I know we you technically have like cultists and stuff, but, you know, they're not good at anything they're not even good at living or holding objectives so there's 20 um, there's 25 total data sheets that's including characters that's including ubiquitous never going to see them you know rhinos land raiders and predators um the hell is including the hell drake there's 25 total and the vast majority of those you share with chaos space Marines. yeah it's a bit it's a bit odd yeah it's, it's pretty funny um are there any of these strats that you found yourself that you have found yourself as a t-suns player using that people may not have heard of that often um I think everyone by this point has heard of the <clears throat> the three D six deny. Uh, interestingly, with the Nephilim change, or not sorry, before the Nephilim change, with the balanced data slate that drastically changed how um, bodyguard works. I think a lot of people sort of just stopped using the bodyguard strat um, for Thousand Suns. They have a strat where a Rubicon unit or a Scarab Occult Terminator unit basically gets the bodyguard rule with the new stipulations that they can still be shot if they're the closest. And the reason why I think they stopped using it was that um, it wasn't as good. But it's one of those strats that in niche situations has actually really turned the tide of a game because quite often you'll have a, for example, the way when we played at ADC, Adam, um, when I had yep. lots and lots of five-man units, when you have a five-man unit protecting a character, people shoot a couple of LAS cannons at you and then you have a two-man unit. And so they're like, okay, I'm going to shoot your character. And you're like, nope. And yep. like, like spending a CP to be able to mean that they have to waste a whole unit of shooting, mm-hmm. let's say you're playing ADMEC, this specific game I played at a tournament that's in my mind, where a whole unit of Balistari was going to shoot my shoot Araman, and basically that's a huge deal. But because of one CP, he had to shoot a single Rubik Marine yeah. with a whole unit of Balistari. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, 
that is the least value shooting phase Dude, for like that, a 600 point unit i've ever seen in my life legitimately that's the worst shooting phase that guy's ever gonna make ever gonna make yeah exactly so yeah. you know like that there are some that strap stands out other than that nah probably not fair enough i think overall though would you give the strats a pass a fail oh, or a win I, I think they're versatile and they're usable and you're never going to have more cp then you're going to want to spend. True. Perfect. Uh, jumping into the Warlord traits, and this is especially poignant for the next couple of sections, talking about the stuff that you're going to be, you know, in the Nephilim economy. Do you have the CP for these? Are they worth it? What are your thoughts, man? Where do you usually go with uh, what you take in your lists and why? So um, I think the Warlord traits are a pass. And I say that because I've seen about three or four of them pretty Me too. Me too, yeah. Um, so, but, but they come up here and there. I actually don't know if in the Nephilim meta, if any of them are worth one CP. But I also can't tell you that they're definitely not or definitely are. So I, I, I'm going to give it a pass because I think anything that makes you sit there and evaluate your army choices is good rules writing because it means it's not busted silly and it's not yep. terrible. I'm of the opinion they're an absolute pass. I don't think they're quite a win because none of them slash me in the face as ubiquitous or this is the best in slot. Um, but they're all quite takeable, which means a pass. I see um, Lord of Forbidden Knowledge all the time. Um, your wallet knows one additional psychic power. If it's Magnus, it knows all the psychic powers, of course. Um, always knowing more spells is more better, as in you are a psychic army. Uh, but are there yeah. any others that slide that you, that you take ubiquitously? Oh, I think Arrogance of Eons is actually the best one in the lot. That, that's my personal opinion, because Arrogance of Eons lets you do two things. First of all, it lets you re-roll Deny the Witch checks, which is actually a big deal in the meta at the moment. It is. But also, yeah. when you combo it with the strat to deny on 3d6, 3d6 with a re-roll to deny is so reliable to stop even a super smite mm -hmm. that it, it, it's just an amazing combo. But the second half of that wall of trade is it allows the user to do an additional Kabbalistic ritual. And the reason why that is so valuable is it means that even if you're up against Tyranids, even if you're up against an army like Sisters of Battle, for example, you can automatically manifest the psychic power without a roll and make it undeniable mm. all at the same time. So, for example, if you're playing Sisters of Battle and your game is made or break on whether or not you cast Temporal Surge, their version of Warp Time, you can just go, boom, auto-cast, undeniable. You, you can spend your Cabal Points, and even Sisters can't stop you. It's so good. It's so good. Like, the fact that you can just have almost auto-15 in your your uh, Psychic Secondary, because you can just be like, well, I'm just going to bank X amount of my Cabal Points every turn to just guarantee I get points. It, it, exactly. Cool. You know, let's say you're playing against the new uh, the Demon's Code, it's like an invert, bad example. Let, let's say you're playing against Sisters of Battle, and they've got Sisters of Silence as an ally, and they've got a Collector's Assassin. You're like, make six to cast, and they deny you on a three-up. You're yeah. like, no. I'm Too gonna bad. Order, I'm going to auto-cast. You know, like, Never it, heard of you. Thanks it, for wasting it, all your points. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> it, it's actually it's so good. It's the only army in the game that has... I think that flexibility in the psychic phase. So I reckon that wall of trait also adds to that. Uh, Seeker of Shadows is another one that I think um, gets a little bit, uh, well, especially in Nephilim, I don't think quite makes the cut, but I think it's very good. That's each time you perform a psychic action, roll an additional d6 and discard one d6. And this is the one I usually see get taken on the, is it the, the Zangor Shaman that runs into the middle and gets temporal back? Um, yeah, that, that's definitely what you see there. Yeah, uh, and I'm always I'm quite a big fan of that one. As that's that's another nice one. But I think actually I'm I'm changing this to a win. It's not just a pass. Wall of Trades are a win now for me. Um, well, I suppose we talked. We spoke about more than half of them. So we did. We did. Yeah. Um, this next one I'm not sure about. Infernal Pacts. So essentially the the litanies for the Infernal Masters. Um, yeah. On release, we weren't and we were. We were high on the pacts, but we weren't enamored with the data sheet of the model. But I've seen more than not, especially in the 20, the 20 Scarab Occult list, an Infernal Master getting taken. What's your take, mate? So I think it's kind of tough, right? Because it is a very takeable model, uh, and, and, and the pacts have one or two in there that are so good that almost every list has it. But the other four of them are so trash that despite <laughs> the fact that I played T-Suns for over six months and use them at ATC, I couldn't even tell you the name of them. I could roughly tell you what they do, but I, I don't even, I don't even, I've never heard of them. And I've literally read that codex front to back at least 10 times. And so, you know, it's I, I'm going to give it a pass, and I give it a pass again, because like the one that gives you plus one strength to all your shooting attacks, money, when you're shooting like 50 bulk gunshots at AP2. And then there's one that gives you a reroll. The first one is excellent. The second one is okay. And the next four are unimaginable piles of garbage so there was a big internal balance swing and a miss i believe with these there should have been yeah. a legion command upgrade for the infernal master why wasn't there of an ilk of the um uh, master of sanctity for chapters that's, 
that's a really good point. Um, I, I don't have a good answer for that one. Yeah, that, um, it was just it was just a piece of internal balance that G-Dub just didn't get, just didn't understand, or just didn't put it in. It could have been just as easy as 20 points in Infernal Master's stuff goes off on a 2+. You don't get any extras, but it goes off on 2+. And it would have made the Infernal Master better. It would have been, or Infernal Master knows one additional and can cast one additional, but it still goes off on a 3+. It would have been better again. Um, as it's right now, I can't. I'm not sure I can give these a pass just because there were, it just the amount of times I've played against, against uh, T Suns players and they've had an Infernal Master that's rolled ones and twos for three out of the five turns of the game and not done a single thing for the majority of its points and majority of it being there. I just, it just it's a unit that annoys me. And if I was playing T Suns and I was playing that model, it would annoy me so much I probably wouldn't take it. And yeah. that means I can't give it a pass, even though I think it's a it's a good tree. There's some good buffs in there. It's a cool model as well. It's just it's frustrating. It, it's very frustrating when you have this unit that you know like could be good because let's be realistic. Very few marine armies don't have a chaplain. So the yeah. the mechanic the mechanic of command phase buffs on a three or a two plus is clearly good. But when I, I don't know, it always felt out a bit out of place to me to have a chaplain in a psycho-heavy army when mm-hmm. the reality is, is that most of your good buffs are going to be casted anyway. It just yeah. seems a bit odd, and it feels clunky sometimes because you're giving out command phase buffs in an army that's used to moving and then doing buffs. So the more kind True. of like used you get to playing psychic buffs, it just feels like they're clunky and worse. It's my perspective. I mean, so the main one I see people go for, well, this never mind, actually. Never mind. There's no point in going over any more of that. To me, it's a fail. I wish it was better because it should be better. I believe. I believe you deserve better. But here we come to. Uh, I've been waiting. I've been waiting all this time because we're up to the relic section. All right. So umbral crystal, whatever. You get to. You get to freaking deep strike and all that crap, and everyone takes it. And there's some other good stuff in here. But there's one relic, mate. There's one thing that is a cut above. And uh, I need to know, sir. Are you a man of a man of quality? Are you are you a, a distinguished sorcerer? Do you have a moment to talk about our Lord and Savior, Thurdegur? Ah, I see you are too a man of taste and culture. Thurdegur to you too, sir. <laughs> so, yeah, look, I'll be honest. I'm pretty sure I'm the only person who ever took that relic to um, uh, um, um, it, it's, it's. I think it's good. I think it's actually a very good relic. Um, uh, it's a disc for a sorcerer. Uh, mm-hmm. lets him advance charge, and it lets him pile in console. Uh, whichever jolly direction he wants. I think he goes six as well. He does, yeah. In front of me, sorry. Um, I, I loved this relic so much. Uh, you, you can build a Smash Sorcerer um, with two relics because of that Dilettante upgrade we mentioned where he's got the Seer's Bane, um, the Thurdiger disc, and then you, then you give him the Warlord trait, um, Aether Stride, so he moves three additional inches, and then this dude goes... 30 inches with temporal surge plus a d6 advance so it goes like 33 inches on average um and then charges you and then you know casts like diabolic strength on himself sorry it's called swell by the warp and thousand suns <laughs> um, god damn it gw putting identically named spells <laughs> in different books with slightly um, different, different names, names. Right. yeah um anyway but like it's cool and all but now in nephilim that dude costs you three cp and it's like ah oh, i'm not sure i'm not sure i like that very much how do you feel about the rest of the relics? Not, I mean, obviously, obviously, the next the next T Suns book is just going to have a one of the cults is going to be the cult of Thurdiger, and we're all going to worship at that feat. And you'll you'll rock up with like the little Thurdiger patch on your shoulder, and then one one day there'll be a magical moment where two T Suns players will play against each other on a table, and they'll both have Thurdiger in their list, and then miraculously, like. Uh, they'll be like, ah, I see you are a man of culture. Ah, you too are a man of culture, sir. And then like a a, a waiter will materialize with some canapes and they'll enjoy the game. Um, it'll be a magical moment. Anyway, sorry, how do you feel about the rest of the relics? I've, I've quipped enough. the exception of like Space Marines, where like every chapter has like 10 relics and they have 10 of their own relics, T-Suns have the most relics. They have so many, relics. so many relics. However, four of them are stabs for some ungodly reason. I All know. of them are unusable. Um, one of them is a pistol, but you got a pistol. I mean, you got a, but you have a pistol. I mean, you can't be unhappy. You've got a pistol. It's what? It's the Coruscator. It's range eighteen, pistol three, strength five minus two two. Mate, how could you be unhappy with <laughs> that pistol? It's just like G- GW. Like um, why, why? Why you do me like this? But then does, you know you have like three sets of armor, 
all mm-hmm. like half of them can only be taken by like sorcerer models. You're like, why mm-hmm. am I putting armor on my sorcerer? What's happening? And you've got like, you know, you've got all these weird um, ones. Like that, there's a set of armor for an infernal master that makes the first damage against him zero, and he knows an additional prayer. Can't can't cast an additional yeah, prayer. Can't cast this He just knows an additional. Can't prayer. can't put off a prayer more better. It's just knows one. It's freaking useless. It's and crap. It's like, but he knows two anyway. And there's yeah. only two good ones. So you know a bad one now. Congratulations. Like it, it, I, I get so weird. <laughs> I, I keep looking at that relic being like, oh, uh, come on, guys. You could have made this guy good. It's yeah. very bizarre. Um, so, look, I'm actually going to give the relics a fail. Me too. I, and I give them a fail because 90% of them are bad. Like They're actually just not usable. 30 goes bay, though. 30 goes life. 30 goes life. Uh, but what is funny is that we're into the point of 40k where we actually have like legacy relics that were the best in previous codexes and are still the best now. The Umbralific Crystal, which what the hell did that used to be called in the previous codex? The Dark Matter Crystal. The Dark Matter Crystal. We now have legacy ones that are maintaining being the best one in the codex over multiple freaking codexes. So like this is a, this is now a dynasty relic. What the hell are they going to call it next time? Um, yeah, actually. Yeah, uh, the, the same can be said for um, the Veil of Darkness in the Necron book. It's exactly the same thing. It's a legacy one. It's it's spanned and been the best relic in multiple codexes now. It's ridiculous. But anyway, it, it, it's interesting, right? When you, you use the Veil and the Umbralific Crystal as an example, but then also you look at Death Watch and it's the Beacon, and you look at like yes. all, yeah. in all honesty, if you put a relic in a book that moves any unit anywhere <laughs> next, next to a relic pistol. I know what I'm going to pick. Like it, 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 it's kind of tried and true template where just give me mobility. Mobility is good. Yeah. Who would have thought? Anyway, uh, Thurdiger is the love of my life. I'll be leaving my partner and moving in with Thurdiger shortly. Uh, apart from all that, the rest of the relics are trash, except for the crystal. Anyway, yeah. moving on. Um, psychic powers. There's two trees here. Discipline of change. And what are your thoughts? Uh, so discipline of change kind of got a few damage spells. This is the discipline without move again, which which is which is fine. Um, honestly, overall discipline of change is actually my preferred one because you got Zench's firestorm in here, which is just my favorite well. spell in the whole yeah. book. Um, I can go into a game. I will use six, even seven of these spells. Um, this tree is pretty sick. The only reason why this tree frustrates me is a bit of a roundabout answer. It only frustrates me because if you play the army of renown, the Zangor army, this is the discipline you have to use. Uh, yes, and because you have to use this discipline, it makes me sad. Mm-hmm. Me too. That the it would actually, I'm not sure it would be good, but it would be so much more playable if it got access to both. Like if you had the Zangors with move again. Um, oh. Well, Adam. Well, I'm not sure if we've talked about this, but but. Uh-huh. Oh. The Zangor army. Sorry, this this is a bit of a tangent. If anyone listening to this, um, please don't use this as a tournament until you talk to the TO. This is not like a. This is not like a. I'm definitely correct. This is a. I'm convinced I'm correct. But please check. Um, <laughs> I'm convinced I'm correct. <laughs> so, if you play the Zangor army of renown, the exact restrictions on the book was that your model cannot select powers from the discipline of vengeance. It does not say you lose access to the discipline of vengeance. So, I am of the opinion that you can start the game without those psychic powers. And then turn one, you can spend a CP to change a power to whatever the hell you want. Okay. Oof. Oof. Okay, that is that is delicious. We will we will wait wait and see. But yeah, I'll, I would <laughs> definitely wait and see on that one. Yeah, and hundred percent ask your TOs. Um, all right, I, I think this is a pass. I, I see so many of these. I, the amount of times I've someone has just rolled Firestorm straight into Doombolt on a unit, I've been like, well there's half less of a unit <laughs> it sucks it sucks there's some here that i i rarely ever see there are some here that that are cornerstones of the let's make our durable army more more durable you know being glamour and weaver which i think are actually just overkill a lot of the time especially the the minus one to hit just use a forest well and who cares um are there any here that are kind of sleepers i mean i i've never heard of pyric pyric flux <laughs> what, what the hell is um so pyroflux is okay if you want to um run a flamer unit i mean see episode one of the adam and liam t sun review to see why i just think the flamers are a mistake passively oh um, i do know this power never mind i do know this power. i just read it i'm sorry it's the plus one strength to the flamers power yeah yeah it's like cool <laughs> like awesome yeah, cool. 
I mean, I'm actually not wholly against taking a single flamer unit in the current meta when demons exist and you have you have uh, orspec scan. I'm not against that anymore. Uh, yeah, look, okay. No, I, I'll I'll rate that. That's fair. Yeah, I'm not against that idea right now. And just putting it out there, maybe you you would like to be for it. Uh, what do you think about the rest of you? Any any cool? I mean, Baleful Devolution is hilarious. Perplex, I've never heard of Perplex. So um, it's interesting you've never heard of Perplex. I actually use both of those powers when I play T Suns, and I use them quite a lot. So especially in the meta as it is now, where there's actually quite a few bigger units, like you're seeing some Chaos Space Marine units now with um, big units of Chosen and stuff. Tyranids always have big warrior units, stuff like that. Baleful Devolution is actually a pretty good power. So the thing about it is that on average, it is outperformed by like a super smart, for argument's yeah. sake. But the advantage of Baleful Devolution is that the bell curve is ridiculous. So a lot like, you know me well enough, Adam, that I love shock attack guns. I love what they used to be. Yes. I love a shock attack gun. I love a shock attack gun because when you explain to your opponent that a shock attack gun tan- could do, last edition, 216 words, it was like this mo- the most ridiculous like look in their face, like, nah, you're wrong. And you explain it, like, yeah, it actually can do this much or it's most likely going to do zero. On average, it does one <laughs> damage, but it could do 216. Yeah. Fail for devolutions like that. So on average, if you cast it on 3d6 and you've got plus one to cast, on average, it does about two mortal words. That, that's kind of what it Huzzah. was. It works out what you know, like that's okay. However, it can actually do forty-two mortal wounds. So, like that one spell can kill an entire paladin unit from full wounds. Um, and so, w- w- when you think about that, it makes people play weirdly. When I'm versing an army that has lots of six-man units, you can actually have a situation where Araman and your sorcerer with the Athenaean scrolls, three D six cast relic are both casting the spell because you can double cast a witch double cast. Yeah. And when you're doing that against, like, for example, when I, um, when I, you play, when I uh, used to play Brian Lakeland and he was playing uh, like Raxman, being able to pump potentially 10 plus mortal wounds, if you cast the spell 10 times a game, it's going to spike once or twice throughout a game and kill like the majority of a unit. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that spell is actually a bit of a sleeper because people don't like it because it's unreliable. Yeah. But if you've got enough casts that you're slinging every spell anyway, why not take the chance on rolling the the high spike and pulling it off? Exactly right. And that's why I actually I still want to go back and replay um, my list I played you with, Adam, at, at ATC, because I actually think that um, the Dude, MSU the, the psychic spam has that's a place. Hmm. I think that list is awesome. As soon as you played it against me and I, I saw how it worked, I was like, wow, this is, this is some eight-head head 3D chess crazy power. Um, that no one looking at the list will understand until they they felt it. Anyway, I think it's a, I think it's an absolute win for the, the discipline of change. And I'm just going to say, oh, discipline of vengeance. Oh, look, you have a double move that still lets you charge. How could this not be a win? <laughs> yeah, until a new codex, T Suns yeah. have remained the only army in the game to keep that. Yes, they literally are. It has been removed from every other book that you you could cool, you Everyone's allowed to have that double move. Harlequins can double move. They can't charge. Uh, um. Eldar can double move, can't charge. The CSM book can double move and can't charge. But T-Suns, for some reason, for somehow, you've got it. And I think you should... I, I think this is a point of leverage where you can be like, well, I've got something you don't, so I'm going to make the most of it. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy it while you can. Hmm. Tell us about the rest of the, the discipline, mate. So I think this sort of vengeance has some excellent powers in here. Uh, obviously, we love the old twist of fate, take away your invo saves. We absolutely love... I, I think that Infernal Gaze, whatever it's called, is still an amazing spell. It's just roll three dice every four up as a mortal wound, but it's targetable. And it's warp charge five. So it's one of those spells that you just randomly put on a rubric marine unit because nobody expects a rubric marine unit to kill that succubus on two wounds. Yeah. Like, like hidden. And there are just so many like useful little spells in here. Um, Empiric Guidance is, I would argue, of all the blessings that I see, even the defensive ones, I think it's the most useful spell. Because I agree, yeah. For you to make your bulk guns and your Soul Reaper cannons go to 30-inch range, it's not just plus six, because that plus six, yes, or whatever, you have to move less and you shoot them further away, but it's about them retaliating back. Mm-hmm. If you're versing 
any like a huge variety of arms. Say you've got some Tyranids with all that. Tyranids a bad example because they actually suck at killing Terminators. But beside the point, let's say you're versing an army that has lots of 24-inch range shooting. You can now shoot them, and if they move six towards you, they can just shoot you with the front model. So you just so like you can set up some amazing uh, like unretaliatable strikes on your opponent's army. But I think it's just top tier. That spell, love it. Dude, I, I totally agree as well. Some of the better, some of the best T-Suns players that I've seen and I've cast and I've called, they'll have like 10 Scarab Occult Terminators. Everyone's like, oh, they're going to use them to body up the middle and, you know, go and do all this stuff. But what they do is they use Cult of Duplicity and this to just gate them around lines of sight and to be like, oh, you think you're hidden and you're playing, you know, 10 Shuriken jet bikes? Well, I'm just going to blink to exactly 30 inches away from them with all this gun and I'm going to gun you till death. And they just do it, and they stay 30 inches away while they're doing it. it, it exactly what you said, outside retaliation range. Um, yeah. I think it's really powerful. Anyway, um, but the rest of these, like, some of them don't... I've, I look at Dark Blessing, I'm like, oh, that could be really good. But yet, I've never seen or heard of it being cast. Uh, possibly that might be that might be my issues. Uh, Presage as well. I've, of course, Presage. I, I yeah. see in every list. It's everywhere. It's it always going to be a good, good relic. The only thing, I, the only thing I think that holds some of these back, though, is that in in the 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 vengeance side of thing, all the casting it just seems to be a little little harder. Like so, presage is a seven, could easily be a six. It just seems like there's a lot of things that take away uh, your pluses and your minuses to cast and stuff. Like a lot of things. So there's a lot of competition, I think, in oh, this there's, discipline. There's for, a lot of competition, yeah. and also um, one of the things that has always, I guess, weirded me out about uh, a lot of the T Suns powers is the scaling on them. Like, I've, yep. I've never understood why 4-Up Invo is the most expensive def- defensive blessing the, the book has. Yeah. Why, why is Weaver of Fates a 7 to cast yes. when Glamour of Zinch Neg 1 to hit is a 6 to cast? So equivalent mm-hmm. of a 5 because you've got plus 1 to cast. Because especially with Armor of Contempt, in so many, even against knights, like AP4 Melter Guns, Terminators in cover don't need the Invo save. There is Correct. actually so few situations yeah. where you can put them to a five-up. It's AP4 ignores cover, right? A- AP4 in combat. Yeah, uh, true. Like, or, so, Sangard. Yeah, exactly. So, it's like, if you have AP3 or less in your army, so, like, basically, if you are playing, other than the Reaper of Obliterax, the entire Tyranid Codex literally cannot put Terminators to their invoke. So, so, so it's like, okay, cool. And I, I watch people play it, and they're like, oh, I'm going to Weaver of Fates my Terminator. And I'm like, why? Why are you doing this? There's literally nothing to be gained. Like, yeah. Do some more models. Yeah, exactly. So I, I find the scaling on them a bit weird, but mm. obviously it's a psychic codex. The powers are a firm pass. Yeah. I think the powers are fantastic. Uh, we're going to talk about Cabal Points now, which is the monofaction bonus for those who may be unaware. Um, this is essentially a internal currency system for the for the book, and it's I have found this to be the biggest skill check of this book. Um, the wielding and getting the most of them, having the best laid out plan, and then the adaptability of it seems like this is the thing you need 50 reps with the book in order to get mastery of. Like, everything else, cool, it's a Terminator, use it like a Terminator, fantastic. But getting the most out of your Cabal points seems to be the ceiling for, for some players. Uh, to give us your hot takes, mate. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, man. Because, like, look, when you're playing T-Suns, let's, say, let's look at the most common build, where you've got 20 to 30 Terminators. That list is going to have 20 Cabal points max if you stretch it, like if you, if you do some weird stuff. I'm just going to say 20 goes a nice round number and it's easier to use. If you go straight away and go, boom, uh, extra damage, plus two to cast, and, I don't know, plus six range, you've immediately used up all your Cabal points very, very early on. Whereas if you're a bit more nuanced with it and you focus more on the less expensive ones, you can do with the same amount of Cabal points. You can do uh, cast powers from out of line of sight, drawing range from another model, which has so many applications when a lot of spells target the nearest visible enemy unit. The amount of times you have to, you know, basically draw a flowchart to explain to your opponent why Araman is going to smite from behind a wall, but he's going to draw line of sight from these Rubik Marines. But but he still draws range from himself. Are you you jealous of Tyranids? Would you like to be a Tyranid too? It's all in the Cabal Points, where you can just synaptic slap around all the stuff. It's so strong, man. When you did that versus me, 
um, my eyes bugged out of my head because I'm like, oh, why is he just double move yeeted out five rubrics to try and kill five guys in cover? They're not going to do it. And then I took like four D3 smites and I was like, oh, <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> Especially when, man, you know, that baleful devolution power that I talked about, you know, if you're going to cast a random, if you don't really care if the unit lives or dies, like it's not game breaking, but you'd be like, hey, this would be funny. And you've got cabal points. And you go, hey, I'm going to spend three so that our, so like Aramana or something could just draw a line of sight through a Rubik Marine's cockplate. Then he just goes ahead and smites some Dire Avengers and ends up killing all 10 of them with a spike on a Baleful Devolution. Then your opponent's just like, what the fuck just happened to me? Yeah, it's it's spicy, man. There is a lot of tech in here. When we went read through these, we, we gravitated to the ones you mentioned, the ones which give you just baseline things you'd pay CP for. You just get to have. And this is what one of the reasons I think T-Sun's got more than everybody else with Nephilim. Even you take out all the other changes and how good the secondary's got and everything. Because everyone else lost CP, but you kept a, such a huge pool of CP-esque abilities that you don't have to you don't have to pay anything for. You don't you're not losing your CP pool. You're not paying points for them. You're just bringing yeah, the good true. stuff of your book and you retain a playbook that everyone else lost. And so I think this is one of the strongest parts of this book now. Um, but yeah, so any of these other these uh, jump out to you as things that other people may not be aware of? No, I think they're a pretty known quantity. I, I still think that um, the amount of combos and nuance you can get from doing uh, Arrogance of Eon, so you can do two on one model, yeah. is a really big deal. And also a lot of people actually forget that Magnus has that Warlord trait. Uh, it's one of his three. So I see a lot of people getting frustrated because um, they've done D3 extra damage, but they actually want to do a different Cabal ability. Magnus can do all, like, two of them a turn. He doesn't care. It's really potent. Um, in your mind, for people in the Nephilim world, um, how many Cabal points is about right? Because, once again, we said this as well in the review, saying that, like, we thought one of the biggest issues for people going forward is finding the right amount of Cabal points that, that are, are worth having, that you find turn-by-turn turn uses for, but don't make you take a stupid army. Oh, that, that, that's a tough one. Um, so I would, uh, I actually think that more, more is better, but I think there's a ceiling to how many you need. So if you're going to build that Terminator army, I think the, the number that I think is right is 17. Um, 17 is what you need so that you can lose a couple of units and you can still yep. do um, D3 extra damage, which is four and five Cabal points for plus one to cast. And yep. then if and when you need it, nine Cabal points are plus two to cast. I think those, and then interchangeably either auto-cast or auto-deny. You can't do all of them in the one turn, but that 17 is kind of like a number where, let's say you lose a couple, so you get down to 14. 14 is what you need to go plus two to cast and plus one to cast. Because yep. th th those are the two that will fix your problems when you roll bad. If you roll, and you, if you need to teleport, you're playing Cult of Duplicity. And you roll a seven with your plus one. I think it's an eight to cast, is my understanding. That is potentially game losing straight away. So if you're going to cast those spells, I think you need some cabal points in the bank. Really, that's the must-have. Yeah, I totally agree. I think you need, and you need. I love that you said that you can. You need the the minimum amount that you can lose and still have plays in your playbook. Like uh, you can yeah. lose units and still you have. You, you can't just budget for what happens if everything goes right. Yes, ex exactly correct. Um, okay, next up we have the secondaries, mate, which I have actually have open here. I have the Nephilim secondaries open here, um, in case you weren't familiar with the, the changes off the top of your head, because I understand you've been playing Necrons for the WTC, but yeah. prior to that, you were all upon, so I wasn't quite sure when you'd uh, drop the T-Suns in the picture. Are you uh, familiar? Uh, I am quite familiar. Yep, give us the lowdown, because I think this is very powerful what they have in the secondary slot. Yeah, so I reckon these actually got upgraded in Nephilim with with the caveat that some of them are a bit of a side grade. So I think that um, a lot of negativity was shown online, to be honest, about the change to mutate landscape because they basically yep. changed it to be in line with the secondaries where you have to control the objective. Yeah, I do not think that's a huge deal because I think that secondary in general is in a category where T-Suns have other dominant options, it's in the psychic category. T-Suns yeah. do some amazing, like, you know, mental interrogation, warp ritual, um, all sorts of things. But also, T-Suns are an army where everything's obsec and everything can move quite fast, like teleport or temporal surge. Being Having to control an objective to do an action, not a big deal. No. Um, yeah. It is a, a downgrade, but not enough for me to hate that secondary. 
the other ones, Wrath of Magnus. Now, look, Wrath of Magnus used to be if the opponent has a Psyker, you just got to kill more models in the Psychic phase than them, and you get three points. You got three or four points a turn, I think it was. Now, that sounds good at first glance, but the reality is that a lot of the times, even if they had Psychers back then, it wasn't that great because you might be playing... Uh, for example, Tyranids with Zoanthropes or, or, or all sorts of things that, to be honest, can actually compete with you. Or my least favorite option is when you are playing a Chaos Knight army and they have one Psyker. So people take Wrath of Magnus and they're like, cool, I'm going to smite to death one knight. Cool. If you don't smite to death one, you one knight, nothing. you get zero. And if they smite to death one Rubric Marine, you get zero. Yeah. So, you know, it actually wasn't that great, but it's got a huge upgrade. Now, it's basically got a whole bunch of dot points. And it's basically, if you cast more Witchfires than your opponent, mm-hmm. one point. If you cast more Blessings than your opponent, one point. More Maledictions, one point, and so on. And so, all it's saying is, outperform your opponent in number of casts. Yes, in the phase in which you are the best in the game. Or, yeah, in the or phase where literally no other army, including yeah. Grey Knights, can actually outnumber you in terms of casts. Mm-hmm. Like, if your opponent takes that one Chaos Knight now, that is 15. You are going to get 15. It's, it's a 15. Exactly. It's a freaking 15. Um, it still shits me that Magnus power, manif- psychic powers manifested by Magnus the Red do not count when it's the, the psychic power is called the Wrath of Magnus. So it's Magnus's wrath, but it can't be expressed by Magnus, it has to be expressed by others. It's it's just, it's it bothers me. It, it seems <laughs> odd, right? It, it does it actually seem a little bit odd. <laughs> it does. Uh, what are the other two like? Uh, uh, Sorceress Prowess and Burn Empires. So I think Burn Empires suffers from the fact that I don't think T-Suns have units to spare. It's basically the classic action secondary outside of your deployment zone. I can think of at least 10 armies that have an almost identical secondary. Yeah. It's pretty common by different names. Uh, Necrons have one, um, etc. So that one's okay, but it's definitely outdone by Sorceress Prowess. So the reason why Sorceress Prowess used to be good was that it's like, okay, I just have to kill other psychers with my psychers. And I think that was actually okay, to be honest. That was actually pretty cool in some matchups, like especially Tyranids, because it's like, oh, I, I smite to death a single like Maliceptor or something, because um, he's at the front of the army. And it's like three points. Awesome. But it's even better now. So Sorceress Prowess now gives you just points for killing enemy units in the psychic phase. Mm. And the reason why I think that's an freaking amazing secondary is they don't have to be psychers anymore you get bonus points if they're psychers but you get two points a unit for killing things in the psychic phase it's uncapped as well so it's end of game scoring so it's it's essentially um uh no prisoners but you you just okay did i kill that last model with a psychic power pool i'll i'll tell two points tally it up at the end um it's really strong I think it's fantastic. So it's five points for each character, three points uh, for psychic unit, and two points for anything else. Um, And you can line this up the turn before. Like, cool, smite that one down to a couple of, you know, get that rhino one or two left with my shooting. Next turn, I'll finish it off with a smite. Oh, cool, we're going to charge in the spawn. I'm going to kill these intercessors down to two left. I'll finish them off with, in the psychic phase, another couple of points. This, it's, it's the, another skill check. The better you are at T-Suns, the better this will be for you. 100%. 100%. No, I agree with that. All right, my dude. Um, this is almost bringing us to the end of the Codex Retrospective. What I, before, we, before we move on, though, um, pre, pre-Nephilim, like the, the secondaries printed in this Codex, were they any good in hindsight? Um, they were, but the problem was, because you could only take one, Yeah, they were all competing with Mutate Landscape. And i got, I got to be honest, when you look at secondaries and mutate landscape used to be just a psychic action on an objective. Um, you don't even have to hold the objective. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, you can have a character who moves like 30 and can do this. There was, even though I know some people disagree with this opinion and it's not that popular, I think all of them get absolutely poo-pooed on by mutate landscape. It was just such a superior secondary that I never saw myself ever taking anything else. Even, when there used to be missions with only four objectives, I'm like, I'm still going to do mutate landscape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, I'm, I'm the same. I play, I play GKs. I've got like, geez, 35 games with GKs in the in the in the lead up and playing at WTC. And I think I took 
their mutate landscape equivalent purifying ritual. Purifying right? ritual every game. Every right? game. Yeah. I played against sisters. Ah, I took it. I played against T Ah, I still took it. Uh, <laughs> it was just like the easiest. Absolutely, like, man. Like, yeah. it, that there's no world where I'm not going to take a, a secondary that gives me three points for casting a single power every turn. Yes. Like, what? Yeah. It's so good. Um, but transitioning into talking about a bit of the data sheets before we move on and close this one out, you mentioned there's only a handful of units in this army. Yeah. I think. One of the biggest mistakes that they made is not giving any, not pu- not really putting in any competition for the troop slots. Like well, there's Rubik Marines, and if you want to save some points, enough cultists that you can offset. Yeah. So here's the thing, right? Um, w- without going on too much of a tangent again, Black Templars, Black Templars, they put some odes in there where the odes give the whole army a five of invoke, and suddenly there was all this conversation about how vehicles might be viable. How did that turn out? Do you see Black Templar Land Raider armies around? No. No. No, but you, still, is, you, you do still see one or two Redemptors in most lists. You, you do. You do. But I don't think it made the vehicles resurgent. Like, it didn't make them yeah. ascendant. And that was, I think, the problem with the T-Suns book. All they really did with all of the Chaos Space Marine data sheets that were vehicles was just give them all an invo. That's literally, that's literally all they did. The, the Predators, the Vindicators, all of it, Land Raiders. They made no other change to the book, and they added no synergies to anything else. So those data sheets, I don't care if they got a five bimbo, they failed. They, I don't. They, I didn't even, dude. I didn't even know that a five bimbo. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. The fact you've never heard of that means that this like little buff they gave them is just where, like they, they missed the mark with that one really bad. Where does it say they got a five bimbo? They've all got um, Arcana Astartes. Ah, uh, Arcana. Of course they do. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, it's near the front of the codex that all the Arcana Astartes stuff gets a five up, which is hilariously why in the um, Zangor Shaman army, the army of renown, they lose an invo. <laughs> anyway, but that, that, that's a whole other point. The, the, the Rubik Marines, I mean, lose the info. But so the data sheets in general, there's vast categories of unusable units. So the entire heavy support slot, the unusable. The flyer slot, even with Forge World, largely unusable. The Lord of War slot, I want to love Magnus. I, I really, really want to love Magnus. Um, Hilariously, can't score his own secondary, which seems yep. a bit unusual. Um, to be viable, has to cost you a CP as well. Um, and unfortunately, falls into the trap of having 18 wounds whilst being less durable than an Armager. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, I don't love Magnus, despite the fact that I own two for some ungodly reason. Um, I don't know why I've got two on the shelf next to me, but I do. So, Magnus, Lord of War slot, I'm going to call that a fail, to be honest. And I actually am going to call the HQ slot a fail because you've got Araman. Uh, and then after our, so the, the rest, you've got, you've, <laughs> but you've got good picks. Yeah. Right. You've got Arman, Exalted Sorcerers, Infernal Masters and Demon Princes, but I call it a fail because there's never any variety. I no. never, I never ever see people with a different unit with a different relic loadout. It's always Arman on a disc, not your warlord because these warlord traits crap. And then you see an Exalted Sorcerer with the Umbralific Crystal and the Athenaean Scrolls, two relics. So they can do the two things and or a sorcerer with that other relic you didn't get mm. to take. It's and always the same. You're saying this not in reflection of the Nephilim meta, which is what it has. What Nephilim has done to a lot of books is what you're saying. This was. This is just this codex. This is just the codex. Like in any mission format, if you're gonna like let me have any relics or no relics, the T Sun's books la- it largely stays the same. And then you know you go through troops. There are three troops options. You only ever really see one, maybe with a sprinkling of some Zangors ever. Right. Well, it, well, I could just so, I mean, I do the Thursday show. I look at T Sun's lists every week. Um, I look at every faction's list every week. And you're right. There's Armin, and then an exalted Sork or Sork in your battalion. Then there is maybe one unit of cultists, two units of rubrics, and then the rest of the army is take your pick of Scarab cults and and uh, spawn. And that's it. That's the list. Maybe there's maybe there's a Zangor shaman to do some sec- to do some secondaries. Maybe. That's, the ubiquitous list configuration sliding scale. It is the uh, it is the Grey Knight interceptors and Dread Knights were upon release of the T Suns equivalent. Use your sliding scale. Pick the pick the the ratios that make sense to you. And it's it, I have to say the data sheets are an absolute fail because there you like you said there is no variety. I do think they did a good job in making the T Suns specific units takeable, barring the Zangor stuff. Yeah, it, it's it seemed really bizarre to me because you know the typical pattern with GW is that new models. They make the rules good to like make them included, right? 
And T-Suns were kind of unique because to my understanding, it was the, and I think I'm still correct in this, it was the only 40K army ever to bring Sigma models into 40K. That's true. Usually so still there. Yeah. The T-Suns book came out because I believe the Zench Acolyte stuff, like with the, the Zangors on discs and stuff, that was a Sigma kit first. And then the T-Sun book came out and they said, oh, these are usable in 40K now. And yeah. they reboxed them to be both. But they have, even in the last Codex and now, they are unusably horrible. The, As in the, the Enlightened? The Enlightened. They're yeah. unusably bad. And the Zangors now, are they're not unusably bad, but they, they're pretty close. Like, they're not far off. I, I I thought people could make a case of them pre Armor of Contempt, and then as soon as Armor of Contempt came in, you're just like, yeah, well, cool. Occultist does the same amount of damage now, so who cares? Yeah, it's um, pretty. They're not even don't even do more damage than Occultist. The Strength Four, who gives a crap? It's still just Rend One, which might as well be Rend Zero. Um, so yeah, I I I would love to see Zangors. Well, how many points are they at the moment? I think they're still seven points a model. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. They, I, I, I am disillusioned. That's, that's half a scarab. That's half a Necron <laughs> scarab, bro. No, I'm not. Oh, I'm, yeah. Broke outraged. Um, Spawn, though. I want to talk. So we don't need to talk about scarab occults. Everyone knows everything you need to know about them and rubrics. Uh, I'm surprised I've never yet to see a spawn spam army because I thought it was going to be good. I thought we would see like the 18 spawn list. Well, you, you verse 10 at. ATC. And I was disappointed. I was like, where's the rest? You lack commitment, sir. You, you sir, <laughs> lack commitment to the core. No, no, um, uh, so I think there's actually a case, a serious case, for a 15 spawn army in the enlightened, uh, the Zangorsh, like army of renown, because they get a five of involved. You can give them strength and toughness six, which is a big deal, and they get a five up, feel no pain against mortal wounds. Um, I think just because of that, for like 23 points a model, they're not excellent, but they're definitely something where you go, wow, this is actually like, this is hilariously actually good. Um, other than that, the problem with the man is that, like we spoke about earlier, you know, the Terminators and stuff are so durable. So when you see a unit with a five up armor save in the book, it paints a huge target on their back. Like if someone's going to shoot bolt guns and you have some spawn and some Terminators, you're just making their life easy. Yeah. Yeah, I think true. that's the problem. Like that—that's that, really what it boils down to. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the concept in my mind would have been, oh, cool, he's three units of five spawn. Every turn, one unit of spawn gets all the buffs, and you send it out to disrupt. Because one of the things I always, I've always found with um, T Sun's list is that you've got a super durable army that doesn't want to get close to anybody. It doesn't want to ever doesn't want to close the gap. Doesn't want to get stuck in and get get dirty, get their hands dirty. I'm like, well, unfortunately, we're in a merely trading meta at the moment, which, you know, Votan will probably shake up. But I was like, the spawn makes sense. Like, you know, you need to go and scrap on objectives. Well, you, you need a scrapping unit. Um, but anyway, it just hasn't materialized. But yeah, absolutely. I cannot, for 25 data sheets in this book, um, it's less than 10 are taken. Yeah, which is, which is a bit, I think that's a fail, to be honest. Yeah, it's got to be a fail, right? It's got to be. It's a bit of a shame. But hey. We are at the end of our little retrospective review. Hope you enjoyed it, guys. Um, give us your overall thoughts, hot takes on um, T-Suns and Nephilim. What's their prognosis in the current meta? I reckon very good. I'd actually say that T-Suns are high B or like A tier. Uh, I think they have an excellent place in teams, probably more than singles. In teams, um, they are the super Space Marine army in the sense that they have Armor of Contempt and All is Dust. So that there's a world where like armies that spam AP1 and AP2 you know, you're looking at a lot of Necron armies, a lot of Tyranid yep. armies yep. and stuff, just, you know, have a really hard time into them. So in teams, in teams, I put them up to A, actually. I'm going to firmly say for teams, I give them an A rating. For singles, I don't quite think they're there yet because I need to have some hard counters. And like I said when we first read about this codex, it lacks melee units, really does. And so depending on your format, depending on what you're going to be playing, uh, and depending on how many sisters players you have in your meta, uh, T-Suns do struggle. Yeah, totally agree with that. I think they, they do struggle. We'll see if demon allies, and we're gonna, we're about to talk about demons quite extensively over in part two. We've got a bunch of questions about how they oh, okay. work with T-Suns, and if they do. Um, but yeah, I think there could be something there for adding some 
I, I wish there was a merely Zinchi unit that they could ally in, but they don't have that. <laughs> but uh, um, suffice to say, there is some meat on the bone there. But I think T-Suns are pretty well poised. The mono T-Sun player should be pretty happy with where they're at right now. They're 100% upper middle. Uh, and people playing Magnus, if you want to know where Magnus thrives, it's team events. I, I play, yes. I personally, the WTC lists that took Magnus were so much harder to handle in the pairings in in every in every way than the list that just took Scarab of because everyone knew what to expect. Like if you wanna if you wanna play Magnus, taking it taking a T Sums to a team event, you'll you'll be pretty happy. No, no one's surprised in singles, but when they when they have no shooting and they've Blood Angels do not like Magnus. No man. I mean I played Grey Knights into Magnus and it was it was really bad. It was so bad. If I didn't have the bottom of turn and spent three turns getting my ass kicked with the whole reason to have a good end of turn five uh he almost had me tabled like magnus like bodied me by himself like so like almost <laughs> soloed my army it was so absurd um yeah it was insane anyway we're gonna wrap this one up i do think um in in the the best of hands in the most powerful and competent of hands this is an a minus to regular a to you know a tier book um but I do. I just people got to get away from the scarabs. Everyone knows what to play, how to play into scarabs. The playbook is known. Start mixing it up. Check up some other stuff. I think Rubik's are really well placed at the moment. I think Soul Reapers have almost uh, never looked better uh, for what they bring. That that just that weapon profile and spamming it out. So I meant go back to the drawing board, reinvent some stuff. I think you all, everyone by now who's played T Suns for the length of this book has probably got a hundred games with Scarab Cold Terminators up there. There. You know their, their sleep. It's a known quantity, right? It's an it's yeah. It's so well known, and the, and and yeah, it's cool. It's reliable. It's very strong. But do something different. Mix it up. There might be some more enjoyable things out there that you could just get a new lease on life and play a different playstyle and and see what's out there. Anyway, Mister Doctor Liam Hackett, Mister Doctor Liam Hackett. <laughs> Where can people find the normal blokes? And what is your? Do you have an episode coming up? People can get excited for. Um, it's done a few episodes about the uh, Northern Alliance event, had a lot of um, WTC retrospectives as well. Um, like I said before, you can find us on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever you find your podcasts. Um, and there will be an episode coming out this week as well. Fantastic. Check out the Normal Blokes. Please support them. They are one of my favorite shows and have, have been. I think I've listened to every episode, I think. Oh. Yeah, Thank you, I think I've listened to every episode. So, yeah, here we are. Um, and, you know, you know if, if Adam likes it, you should too, right? Right, right. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, we'll go over, come over and support us over on part two, Art of War Down Under or artofwar40k.com. See you there. Good night. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under, a content review podcast for Warhammer 40k. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under. Signing out from tomorrow.